With Washington, D.C. now in Republican hands, the auto industry hopes the sales boom continues. But a lot of that depends on what happens with consumer lending. That's the topic on this edition of AutoLine This Week. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine This Week. Today's discussion is all going to be about automotive financing. Is there a prime bubble out there? What about these long loans that last five years or longer? We're going to be getting into that because my special guest today is Chris Steinbert. He's the CEO of the American Financial Services Association, which represents banks and the automaker captive finance arms, as well as independent ones. And Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Looking forward to it. Joining us today as well are Steve Finley with Ward's Dealer Business and Joe White with Reuters. And great to have the both of you guys here, too. It was a pleasure. Chris, let's start out talking about the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. This is, of course, uh, the agency that uh, Elizabeth Warren had run before she became a senator. There's a lot of talk, I think, from your side of the table of saying we ought to just shut this down. What is your position on that and what changes would you like to see there? Well, I'm I'm not to say that some people wouldn't like to shut down the CFPB, but in some ways it has been constructed since it was originally formed, uh, what was that, probably six or seven years ago as a result of Dodd-Frank. But the agency or the bureau has been beneficial in some ways. It's brought compliance, uh, I think, to our industry, and it's benefited consumers. At the same time, we think the bureau has gone way too far, specifically affecting auto. In what way? So what they've done is uh, they've looked at the compensation that finance companies paid to dealers for arranging for the financing, and they said because of the disparate impact on minorities, it was discriminatory. They used a faulty, basically uh, very flawed methodology process. Zip codes and uh, last names to determine somebody's ethnicity. So imagine a a process that looked to just your last name and your nine-digit zip code to determine the probability of being a minority. Even some internal emails within the CFPB that were discovered by members of Congress indicated that they knew it was a faulty methodology, yet they still pressed forward uh, to using it with the analysis that we had by Charles Rivers said it overestimated minorities by a full 40%. Now, if you were one of those affected finance companies and were looking at uh, fines and penalties and remuneration to customers, and there was an overestimation of 40%, you would object to it too. They took a very small problem and made it a big one. And it, and the industry has adequately addressed it. I'm happy to say that CFPB has declared themselves that this issue is not as important to them and will not be a priority moving forward. So what they're saying is they don't see that there's discrimination or racism in automotive lending. No, they're saying that over the last four or five years that the industry has addressed the issues, has put in place compliance program, has broadened its awareness into looking at this area. And I don't want to say solved the issue, but that it is not uh, an issue that they think is important enough to maintain their time and resources. Well, what they were going after was the dealer reserve, the percentage point or two that is added to the loan for the dealer's involvement in acting as a middleman, the compensation. And they felt that if that went away, it would solve some problems. And it it didn't go away. Uh, But there are 
consumer activists, I think Elizabeth Warren is one of them, that claims that is a multi-billion dollar ripoff. Um, what's your response to somebody like that? So initially, there, there, Steve, there were some thoughts that it was too much money, but then there was an acceptance of all the work that dealers actually do to earn fees or compensation uh, for the arranging the financing. Uh, it performs a great service, or dealers perform a, a service for the entire community and for consumers in that way. So it came down to not the fact that there was not justification for a payment uh, to consumers for the services that they provided. It came down to the area of discretion in that dealers had the ability uh, to um, uh, offer one uh, rate to one person and negotiated a different rate with someone else. And that this could have a dis impact on minorities in particular. I think one of the issues too that, the, that, that, that this whole issue around loans and the dealer reserve raise was really a question of transparency. And I know that uh, some, some companies I think, you know, as part of settlements that they've made with the CFPB and, and some dealer groups kind of standing up and saying well, this is the right way to go, have basically said look, do it as a flat fee, make it transparent, show, show the consumer kind of what the, essentially the service fee is. Um, and yes, the dealer gives up upside on certain consumers, you know, less informed consumers. But overall, the, it's, a, it's a more transparent business. And, and you're, the dealers and perhaps the lenders would be less subject to the kind of criticism that was coming down from the CFPB. And what's your thought on that? I mean, just sort so, of make it a more transparent process. We looked at, at flat rates and did uh, some analysis against that and worked with dealers on whether that would be a feasible uh, solution or a way to look at it. It was determined at the end that leaving that flexibility to the dealer and their ability to move that car, to sell that car, would be greatly hurt by a flat fee. In many cases, they would like to go below that flat fee, not above it and charge more, but if they had to pay a flat fee, then therefore they could not go below that. In many cases, that would keep them from making the deal. As we all know, dealers want to move the metal, so they want to move that car, and they want to finance that car, and they want to get it over the curb. So, if they have a flat fee, that wouldn't enable them to do that. Well, how would that be? Because the, the because I just don't understand that. I mean, the, the loan would be priced according to someone's credit scores, correct? I mean, why why would there be a, a disincentive to 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 make the deal? Um, because there's, you're only getting 500 bucks or 300 bucks to, to sign the paperwork. Joe, understand that uh, uh, as many people, probably more people would have been hurt by a flat fee than helped. In today's market, when it's already capped at 2%, and that's the most that a dealer can increase their, the buy rate for a car to sell it, what would happen is the CFPB was saying that okay, let's go ahead and have a flat rate of 2%. Well, if that was a 2%, in many cases, they could not move that car because that would be what they had to charge. That would be the amount that they had to, to add into the financing. And that might not, not meet the customer's needs. He has specific needs, let's say, uh, uh, his, uh, his or her monthly payment had to be this amount and could not be above that amount. Well, if you had to have 2% on, on top of that, then therefore you could not get to their monthly payment that they needed. 
you have to have that flexibility in order to do that. I'm sure. I'm not sure you couldn't have transparency with a dealer reserve. You know, it's not that you have transparency with one and not the other. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you though about that that uh, analysis that the bureau did, and then they started going after lenders. And the big one they went after was Ally, which uh, agreed to a settlement, uh, and um, I think it was 97 million dollars, 80 million of which went to restitution for the minorities that were discriminated against and there's stories about white people getting these checks uh, for you know in restitution um, the the methodology uh, even though the bureau defends it everybody looks at it and says you, you can't make a claim like that based on zip codes and person's last names do you think ally could have or should have just gone to court on that rather than agreed to something. I mean, the preponderance of evidence seemed to be favoring them, but why didn't they fight the issue? It's, it's very difficult for any financial institution, whether it be a bank or a non-bank, to pursue a lawsuit against their regulator, and especially when you're talking about potential discrimination. It's such a sensitive issue that I think Ally determined that it would not advisable for them and to move their business forward than to pursue legal action. Did they have a good case? Yes, they would have. But would the optics uh, have been uh, appropriate for them to pursue that avenue? Uh, I think the decision was a proper one, and that was not to do that. Was the court of public opinion <coughs> a court to be considered as well? I, I would think so. Um, let's, let's remember that, that the CFPB first name is consumer, and that goes a long way to uh, 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 defending what is good for the consumer. Well, it's got protection in the name, too. So <laughs> I, can ar I cannot argue that, you know, CFPB is, uh, we want to do this because CFPB wants us to do it because we don't want to help consumers. Consumers are our customers, obviously, and we need to sell cars. We deal upon references and, uh, and coming back the next time. We're not out here to take advantage of consumers. We want to have a great relationship with consumers. We want transparency. And everybody has other options today. People are doing as much research today, no, not quite as much on uh, that they do on the car, but they're doing a lot more research than they ever did before on the actual financing of the car. They're looking at what average rates are. They come in the door and they're very prepared when they sit down in the F&I office of what they're, what they're asking for and what's realistic and how they can negotiate. It's, it's easy to say that most people pay way, way under, and I think the industry average is way below that 2%. So people out there are negotiating pretty well. Well, and that's, and that's kind of why I make the point about transparency, and the internet may actually uh, be your, the industry's friend here in the sense that, you know, not being transparent, I think, has gotten the industry in some trouble. But, you know, as you say, if people can kind of look, to, look at this stuff and figure it out, then the issue kind of goes to the side. And we have other issues like, should those people get the loans in the first place based on their credit scores? Well, yeah, let's go to that because there's a, a lot of talk right now about a subprime bubble, that there's too many people with bad credit scores getting car loans. How do you see it? Well, we know um, having access to a car and transportation is essential to people to getting back and forth to work. Many times it's the reason why they can get a job because they have transportation. So we can't say that everybody is not in everybody's best interest for people to have, be able to, to finance a car. 
there is no subprime bubble. I, I'm here to tell you <laughs> that, that they're just, we can talk about the statistics. We just had all of the three credit bureaus uh, look at independent studies, independent research that they had done on all of their portfolio of, of consumers out there. And they can say that actually over the last year, um, uh, credit scores have actually increased, average credit scores on, on, on the customers that they have. They can show that uh, uh, we're, we're well within or below historical uh, averages that they've had for delinquencies. Now, if you looked at just one number and you said delinquencies have increased over the last year, well, yes, they have, but they've also increased over historic lows that they've never been that low in delinquencies before. So you're starting at a very low point. Have they re risen? Yes. Have they risen as far as the total portfolio? No. If you look at the percentage of delinquencies against the total portfolio, it looks pretty positive. Does that mean that we shouldn't be cautious going forward and that underwriting shouldn't be examined? You have to remember that auto financing has gone through many cycles. The mortgage only went through one. And that was that, plenty. That we, all, <laughs> we all suffered that one. But, but it's unfair but, for some people to liken the subprime bubble to the mortgage crisis. The auto loan hasn't changed in 90 years. You know, you have your term and you have your amount and you have equal installment payments that have been issued. We don't have exotic ARM products. Well, no, you, no not, not so much, but I will ask you about this because this is something that I've, I've watched um, and wondered about, um, which is that the, that the average term of, of loans um, seems to get longer and longer and longer, and that's clearly you know, aimed at monthly payment affordability. You know, the, the, average price of the, the average transaction price goes up, the average loan term goes up, they, they work in sync. But I wonder from the point of view, your point of view and the point of view of your members, is this an infinite process or is there a point where, you know, maybe, no, that's not prudent to have an 11-year loan on a car that lasts for eight years. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't remember, you know, when, when, when 72 was considered, you know, the outside edge uh, that we would cross over. Yeah. And it, it, it seems to go in these, these, these six-month increments that uh, we're all unfamiliar with. and and. Uh, uh, yes, are we concerned about that as an industry? I can say we are. Our auto dealers are, are concerned as well. Um, we've not seen a, a correlation yet to term and, uh, and delinquency and repossessions. We've seen a little bit, but not much. Uh, and you have to remember that, that the people that are getting the longest term loans are your best customers. They are your prime customers uh, that have been uh, extended for the longer terms. Uh, your lower quality customers are getting uh, the shorter terms loans. That, that could be some explanation why we're not seeing any correlation or connection between. Uh, and typically on used cars, right? The, the subprime customer is right. not on, on a, on going the used to car normally buy a new car. Um, what, what would you say the uh, breaking point is uh, in terms of the percentage of people with uh, this amount of uh, or this length of loan? to say 84 months, for instance, yeah. where do you start getting dangerous yeah. when that many people I, I get that I think the industry is, is cautious of meeting consumer demand and, and what is good financial policy. And we don't know where that, that cutoff point is yet. 
But an average customer comes in with uh, a, a monthly payment that they, they think is acceptable, knowing what their, their expenses are. And they, they, they come in, they're educated, they negotiate the price of the car, they no, negotiate the financing, and the last thing they can do to meet their, their monthly goals is possibly to extend out that, that, uh, that term. They've, they've, they've used all the other uh, um, negotiating skills that they have, and that's kind of the last one. And so it's, right now, the, the industry is stretching to meet that consumer demand and to meet that monthly payment. Now, when is that uh, too much, when they've got their hearts and minds set on that specific car and that, that uh, well, and or the done everything they can on the, on the price and the financing? Or the manufacturer has its heart and mind set on moving out excess inventory of a given model line. And, and so have I'm, some additional incentives uh, based on that. So I'm curious, so I'm doing the thing you should never do, which is ask a question to which you do not know the answer. Okay. But has the monthly, sort of the average monthly payment that, that, that kind of, where has that gone? Because it seems like, and you mentioned this, and I think you're right, that, that, that the monthly payment target has kind of stayed flat it, at whatever level it was over the last several years? We've all hugely benefited by rates being as low as they have. So the Fed uh, and uh, keeping the rates as low as they have, we've all been the beneficiary of, of payments being able to be low because of that. So in a escalating, uh, if the Fed uh, raises uh, rates, as they've talked about, uh, that s starts to strike at your affordability issue and is a real danger that, uh, that we see is as interest rates increase, as the Fed increases rates and that is passed on to consumers, that is, uh, uh, and cars, can, new technology in cars and the price, the average price of a, of a car continues to go up, you know, we, things can't go up in that direction mm -hmm. forever. They're, so, that's, they're, so that was a question I was going to ask you. At what point do you, do you see interest rate, rising interest rates, putting those lines in the, you know, having some of those lines start to cross where, where you know, can't stretch the loan out prudently beyond, let's say, 84 months, um, and, and the rates are going up. I mean, 96 what, seems a little high. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm just sort of wondering at what point, is it, are we one to two points away from that pain threshold, do you think, or is it a little farther out in the you future? I started this question by saying that I'm going to ask you a question of which there is no answer. There's too many other variables, and, there's, and, and each lender has their own profile and their own variables that they're going to look at and they're going to examine. So I, I can't give a general answer. Um, it, it's going to be... You and me, if I, uh, when I represent um, uh, this company and this, this, whether it be a captive or a bank, and I'm going to look at the type of customers that I, that I have, that I model my, uh, my portfolio on, and see it, how it affects my portfolio and, and, uh, uh, and, the, and the customers that I have. And it, I think it's going to be somewhat unique and different to each one. Well, the other thing is the dealers are not real enthusiastic about it. A customer taking out a long, long no, because they're going to be gone they'll, they'll for never years. see them again. Exactly. <laughs> so they'll have sold the business next the time they come back. as well. They, they they like the leasing part of it, um, but to your point, you know the the prices rise, and then so do the loan terms. And people really more than looking at that uh, MSRP are looking at how much money a month do I have to pay. So they're it they're. Is rate shopping in the, or, or payment shopping right. and, and it, there's all sorts of ways to get there 
you know, you can extend that loan out long to get to where they want to go, but that's where they want to go. And right. at, at what point does somebody tell a customer who, like you says, has landed on a car and knows how much they want to pay a month, you're going to say, well, no, you, you, you can't do that. You, you fall in love with another car. It's very tricky for a dealer to do that. Historically, that has not worked uh, mm -hmm. too well. Uh, we try and, and find a way to make it work. And uh, so far, so good. It, it has been good. Delinquencies, as you pointed out, you know, we always can adjust those. We can always tighten up underwriting. We've got to look at so many different multiple factors as we move forward. It's, it's, a, it's everything's moving all the time. It's what makes it interesting there, right? So address this specifically. We talked about subprime. You say there is no subprime bubble. But every couple of weeks, I, I see reports in the media saying, oh my gosh, look at the delinquencies. Delinquency is really going up. I, again, could you fill in the blanks on that? John, if I did, said that it is no problem, uh, that's not the, what I wanted to leave you with. <laughs> I, I wanted to say that some reports of the demise of the sub, uh, subprime uh, auto is probably over an over-exaggeration. Uh, should the industry always, and we do, I mean, every company is monitoring their delinquencies on a, on a, every, every day, uh, looking at whether they're creeping, what they, how they should adjust, how they can still meet competition. There's always that, that, uh, uh, what your competitors are doing in the marketplace. So I don't want to leave you with the impression that it's not important. It is. But, I want to just point out that it's, it, 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 we've gone through rising delinquencies, we've gone through rising repossessions, we know how to handle this. It's not to say we haven't seen that yet, though. We, we might. I mean, we are going to go through another cycle. We talked earlier. It's not necessarily um, if we are, but when, and, and there will be another auto cycle, too. And we'll tighten up and we'll adjust and, and consumers uh, uh, can uh, know that we're going to work in their best interest. I think some people misread the data when they're predicting the subprime bu bubble. You know, they're looking at rising delinquency rates. Well, of course, delinquencies uh, rates are going to rise if you're doing more subprime loans. If you're doing more loans in general, you're going to see a rise in delinquency rates. So that really, in and of itself, is not the determinant of we're headed off a cliff. No, it's an indicator. As there are other statistics that are all indicators, you have to look at the whole process and whether you see a trend line. I'd like to ask, so this might be related to what we were just talking about. I mean, the whole the reason why we're talking about subprime risk is, you know, what we all learned the hard way a few years ago in 2008, 2009. Right. Um, and I want to... With, with housing. Not with housing. Cars. No, no, I understand. Car that, loans actually right. perform pretty well yeah, back they, then. People will pay the car loan. But where I, where, what I wanted to ask you is that part of your job, as I understand it, is kind of, you know, get involved in state, federal regulation. We talked about the CFPB. Um, I'm wondering, as you look out at the regulatory landscape uh, post-election, um, are there... Are there things that you would like to see happen in the regulatory or legislative landscape that you think would be good for your industry? And your, or are there things that you are concerned about? Um, per, perhaps in this area of sort of, you know, m trying to monitor and control, you know, the levels of credit or who gets credit and on what terms. Joe, I, I, I think that, the, and the, one of the reasons why President Trump was elected is there was a, um, at least enough voters that feel that there was a regulatory overreach by the government in controlling their lives in certain ways. Uh, we would like to return a little bit uh, of, of normalcy uh, to a process that should be fair and balanced, that 
protects the interests uh, of consumers and the financial system so it doesn't collapse uh, again or, or at risk of collapse without um, uh, basically curtailing uh, affordability, access to credit. The president has said, when he talks about financial services, that this economy runs on credit. And unless every citizen, every American has access to credit, no matter who they are, then we cannot move forward and the economy cannot so move forward. So are there forward. some specific, I mean, again, maybe, I, maybe if this is all about the CFPB, fine, but are there some specific things in either federal or state law that you're, you're looking at or your group is looking at to say, look, we need to change that because it, you, know, it, you feel like that's a problem? So, yes, in, in many different areas, in addition to auto, I, I think financial services in general is looking at uh, uh, the, the time that people spend, and it's not productive of time, money, resources on compliance. You know, you could be growing your business and you could look at how to serve your customers and uh, 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 doing paperwork and compliance and making 10,000 copies and sending, I mean, some of this is just treadmill type of, of effort that just is never ending that is not productive and it's not serving any purpose. If we could take some of those without getting into specific regulations, but regulations that are not achieving the results that we want and back down in that overreach of government and let citizens and, uh, and let people and consumers make some type of decisions. It's time that we recognize and put some confidence back into the consumer instead of having Big Brother out there judging what is good for you and what is not. Well, in and fairness I think to that's you, part of the election. Uh, you, you said at your annual conference, you're not opposed to regulations. You, you don't want to take it, the clock all the way back to no. those old days. It's the balance of you know not being under-regulated, not being over-regulated, and that's kind of a hard balance to find, isn't it? It is, and I know you're, if you're the regulated and you're the regulator, you're always going to have a, a, a little bit of friction there. But I think that the balance that you want, and it is achieved in Washington and a lot of places, is that you don't make rules without uh, a full consideration of consequences. Sorry, we're out of time. But Chris Thank Steinberg, you. thanks so much for coming in. CEO of the American Financial Services Association. Joe White, Steve Finley, thank you guys too. And I want to thank all of you for having tuned in.